the James Suckling podcast. Wine ratings, reports, interviews and more. Hey, James. Hey, how are you? Good, how are you doing? Very well. Good morning. Yeah, morning for you guys. Just getting your day going, huh? Yeah, nothing better than taste. Yesterday, I tasted 29 wines at 8.30 with um, Brandon. So, okay, well, let's... Um, so, uh, I don't know if you got the message, but we've actually already tasted the Zunu. Uh, so, we can just taste, taste the, uh, the Perfect. wines. That's great. And uh, from South Africa, from um, the owners. I find the wines, um, there's a very consistent quality across the board. Maybe some lacking some of the highlights of 16, but um, how would you compare 17 to 16? Yeah, 2017. So um, 16 is very interesting. And, and you just tell me if I'm taking too long in this because I, I'm, I'm kind of a geeky guy. So 2016 is a little deceiving on paper. And, and again, I'm, I won't spend too long on it, but if you look at like the total heat accumulation in 2016 for Washington state and compare it to other warmer years, like 14, 15, um, it looks like the heat accumulation is comparable, but it's a little deceiving because like Mr. Bob Betts likes to say, it's not just about total accumulation. It's about distribution, kind of how, how you get your heat. Right. And so um, what makes 16 unusual is it was the, earliest bud break we'd ever seen at that point in time. 18 actually broke that record. And May was May, May broke every record in Washington State. We, we were kind of holding onto our seats by the time we got to June 1 saying, whoa, we just had the earliest bud break we'd ever seen, most uh, highest accumulative nighttime temperature, highest daytime temperature, all these metrics you could look at in uh, beginning of 2016. May just shattered every record. So we thought this is going to be a really warm year, but it was very deceiving because the vintage was very front loaded. We saw way more heat early in the season and it kind of tapered off as the season went like the middle months, like by the time you get in July, maybe the end of June, July, just barely into August, we were tracking almost like the long-term average, like a 2012. So um, we started, things started slowing down a little bit then, um, slowing down as far as heat accumulation. I think the vines actually started picking up because it was so hot early that uh, the vines shut down quite a bit early in the day. But point being, um, obviously, you, you taste all over the world and you, you, you probably, I, I do believe you speak French, but the French have a saying, which is August makes the must. And in maybe we could say September makes the must, right? Because, and Brennan will say this, he said this to me before, which is, you know, don't ask me about the vintage in, in, in May, ask me about the vintage in, you know, the end of September, because uh, oftentimes that, that last ripening period, that four or five, six week period can really kind of shape the, 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 the character of the vintage, particularly with, uh, with Cabernet Sauvignon. And, and really uh, that final period in Washington State in 2016, it was well below long-term average. It was, it, I, I like to say it was, it was pretty cool for a Washington vintage. It wasn't as cool as 2010, 2011 finish because we had all that heat in the beginning, like total heat accumulation, but it was, it was below the long-term average. It, we didn't have a lot of heat and the fruit came into the winery pretty cool. And the, the skins in 2016 uh, on Cabernet Sauvignon, and I tasted them all over Washington from Walla Walla, Yakima Valley, Horse Heavens, Luke Slope. I was all over tasting And they were thin skins. Uh, the, the, the phenolics like the tannin, anthocyanin, the levels were a, a, a little lower. And, and I'm not saying that's good or bad, but the 2016s, uh, from my perspective, they have a, a certain texture to them, early drinkability that I, I think is really attractive. 
Um, it, it kind of maybe a little bit of contrast to some of the other bigger uh, vintages with bigger shoulders. I don't know if that's been your experience that with this. Makes sense. And uh, 17 certainly seems bigger, but maybe a slightly less defined. And it doesn't quite have the, but 17 doesn't have the opulence of the 15. So does that yeah. make sense? Makes a lot of sense. 15 was a bit of a roller coaster ride. We had we had some big heat in uh, in 15. We realized some pretty big, you know, post 100 degree days, like stretches of them in in 15 and in 17. We didn't. We were we we had been predicted to hit days like that, but they never materialized. We I don't know if Brennan or anybody else had mentioned it, but we had a we had a smoke layer come in during. Uh, he mentioned that. Yeah, it would have been the. It would have been. There was about three, uh, eight, nine day stretches in August and then into September where, um, this sounds ridiculous, but, uh, we were scared. We were predicted to hit 108 on near Benton city, red mountain. Uh, we were supposed to hit like 107 down in the horse Heaven Hills near, uh, near the river. And, um, you know, a I feel bad in a way because I know a lot of people suffered from the smoke, like up in North of us and British Columbia and down in the Columbia gorge, but it actually saved our butt. Um, it wow. really, buffered us from the, that big heat that ne we, it, it, we never realized it. So instead of hitting 107, 108, you know, those days we hit 101. And you, you obviously know the difference between hitting uh, 101 and 107 is uh, there's an ocean of difference. So, and so then 18 is really, you know, an incredible vintage compared to all the, all the other ones compared to 15, 16, 17. It really is. It really is. And um, I, I would love to spend some time talking with the about 18 too. So last week I was in, I did a vineyard run um, and I hit most of the Yakima Valley and I, I took my, I took notes because I, 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 especially the, the growers that have been doing it a long time, I really like to pick their brain and say, Hey, you know, what, uh, what, how did you, how did you see the vintage, the 2018 vintage? Because I have my own, my own ideas about it, kind of where my, my vantage point was on it. And so I kind of collected a lot of, a lot of data from growers. So 2018 was, I mean, you, you could just, as a winemaker grower, by the time we got to the end of the season, I have to assume that for, in, in our little world, it must have been what like maybe uh, the Southern Rhone felt like in 2016, where the wine, the grapes tasted just like otherworldly and the, the, the cuvees and the fermentations just tasted like nothing I'd ever seen. And it doesn't mean that's always going to be good, but like the colors were just on fire. I think there was just a lot of buzz in Woodenville. I mean, that's where we make wine up and Walla Walla, I'm sure as well. But uh, Anyhow, the, what, what kind of led us to that point in 2018, we had a, I was talking with Mike Sauer again on my trip last, uh, last week at Red Willow Vineyard. He takes meticulous notes during the harvest season. And so I, I kind of wanted to just capture all that I could from him, especially when it was still a little fresh in his mind. And we had a very dry winter. It did not get uh, particularly cold. I want to say he said 11 degrees Fahrenheit was the coldest it got out at Red Willow, which is a, uh, which is a pretty mild winter. And we had a, we had kind of a, almost an average bud break time in 2018. But what made it a little different is we, this, this is going to sound strange because people don't usually talk about it, but despite the fact that most of Washington state is on drip irrigation, hydric stress is still actually a pretty big deal for us because just because we can use drip irrigation to mm. get vines water doesn't mean that if we have, if we're, if we're low on, on groundwater, ground moisture, we're still going to feel hydric stress like Burgundy or Bordeaux or someplace like that. We might not suffer from it as much, but we will certainly feel it. We'll see it in the vines. The canopies will be lighter. And that is exactly the case in 2018. We went in with uh, having a very dry winter. 
um, mild winter that we had bud break about, like I said, about a normal time period. And it was kind of a, it was kind of the opposite of 2016 where it was kind of a study a steady climb where it started out kind of cool, got warmer. And then toward, especially he, he, Mike showed me his notes of, um, like July 15 through our August 31. We, we had, we had some pretty big heat in there. It wasn't like 2015 where we were breaking hundred degrees, but we did have a lot of stuff get up 97, 98 Fahrenheit. And again, uh, j- just to give you like the unfiltered deal on Washington, 2018, a lot of I think picking decisions, not just in Washington, but Oregon as well, were based on, we started getting a little bit of dehydration early in the season. And I think for a lot of us, no matter what part of the world you're making wine in, that's kind of a signal saying, hey, we're going to lose some freshness uh, in the wines. And so strangely, I mean, I, I think you've probably heard people talking about all kinds of different metrics that they consider when they're when they're trying to decide when to pick grapes, but that was something that we certainly went up against uh, in Washington state, whether you're talking about Cabernet, Merlot, Syrah, but um, again, almost the opposite of 16, where it, we started with the slow burn kind of built up in, in, in that last, I guess the, the six weeks, mid July through, through August, the last day of August, it, it was pretty hot. And then, and then September and October cruised, we cooled down, uh, not dissimilar to 2018. And I think that's what got everybody excited is we had, We'd already had a pretty uneventful season for the most part. Um, in 2018, we had a lot of warmth in that six-week period. So we, we, you know, we had sugar accumulation getting there. Our cities were already starting to get down there. And then it cooled down. So whenever you have a vintage like that in Washington State, I think you get to see um, a lot of stylistic diversity because you could be somebody like, I don't know, Vets family, and we're trying to pick a little bit on the earlier side of the spectrum. Uh, maybe we're trying to pick Cabernet, you know, September 20th. And then you could have some folks that maybe, uh, want to pick out October 20th, like Cool Cedar Creek. And I think everybody can kind of, uh, get in where they want to fit in that pick schedule because the weather's good. It's cool. Things are not moving too quickly. Bricks is not climbing too quickly. So 2018 did kind of team up to be a, a, a pretty special vintage. Yeah. And that gave you a chance to make wines that are ripe but at the same time uh, have a lovely freshness and, and are not dominated just by pure fruit character. They can really tell, you can, they can tell where they're from. Why is Cabernet Sauvignon uh, not better known in Washington compared to say Merlot or Syrah when you make such beautiful balanced wines? That's a good question. That is a good question. I, you know, I think you might have said something about that when you visited a couple of seasons ago, because I think when you, when you showed up, when you visit, you were, you were thinking more about other grapes, Malbec, which is amazing here. Of course, we know that and Syrah and, and grapes like that, but it is, I, I think you have Cool Cedar Creek that kind of gets some attention, um, outside of our, our, our local area with, with Cabernet, but there's, there's not a lot of producers that are quite, um, I don't know. I mean, we're, you know, we're Washington state. I, I love living here, working here. It's exciting because we do have a lot of, uh, a lot of the world still yet to conquer and, and show our wines, but that's a good question. I'm not exactly sure why that is, but I hope we can change it. I, I think we get a lot of questions about that. Bob, Bob, well, people will ask Bob a lot or when he's in interviews and they'll say, Hey, why, what, what's the future of Washington state? What are, what is it going to be known for? What grape are we going to stand on? And, and he's always going to say Cabernet Sauvignon. So but um keep on doing it <laughs> so it's like they're very beautiful and and uh different than california have a whole different sensibility to it and so i think that that's really cool 
Thank you. Yeah. Um, and I think if you, if you think about Cabernet Sauvignon and where it's grown, I mean, the most famous places for good reason, you think of Bordeaux, you think of Napa, Washington's a very different climate to grow Cabernet Sauvignon. And I mean, Napa, of course, you have that Mediterranean, you know, classified as Mediterranean climate where you have those very warm nights and warm days. And then Bordeaux with its proximity to, to the ocean, which these things obviously know, I'm just pointing it out. Um, it's maritime influence. Well, Washington state's inland continental uh, with the, the, the kind of people like to say larger diurnal shift, which is true, higher daytime uh, temps and, and cooler nights. So it, it's kind of different. I, I like to think it's different for a reason because uh, it, it's, it's a different climate. You don't find Cabernet Sauvignon growing in an inland continental uh, climate uh, too often. So, you know, maybe, maybe that is part of it. 